Welcome to Unlikely Intersections, a podcast where intent, impact, and inquiry inspire our conversations. Fascinating thing about intersections is that we all come to many intersections daily, and the way we navigate these determines the trajectory of our day and our life. I'm Dr. Philip Brown with my good friend, Dr. Terry Jackson. We have an outstanding episode for you today, the self-work experiment. The self-work experiment. That's interesting. Uh, especially in the age of technology. Because in the age of technology, we often go to these devices to, th to look up information that we think we're learning, but we're not. We're really regurgitating, right? And so that brings into mind, how are we actually thinking? What are we thinking? And what is the role of thinking in learning, in the self-work that we do? It makes me think of a saying, I think you're the first one I ever heard say, it. you talk about the knowing-doing gap, mm. right? And mm -hmm. so if we've done the self-work and if we really know, then we should be able to execute on something. Right. But sometimes there's a gap. That's right. Because... We know what needs to be done. We don't know how to do it. And that's part of the challenge in this highly technical society. We were talking earlier about AI, artificial intelligence, for those who don't know, and chat GPT and its impact and the potential impact that it can have in the self-work that we do. Because at the root of all self-work has to be learning. Absolutely. And we're inundated with a bunch of different stimuli all the time, yep. <laughs> right? And a lot of it is sensationalized. A lot of it is entitled a certain way to get your attention, but that really doesn't represent what lies beneath, if you will. And so we've, we've ended up with this extremely superficial level of understanding, and we see that propagate into so many misunderstandings we can go all the way back to what we a term phrased in one of the political administrations around fake news right because that's a bunch of stories that have been told and layered upon without anyone doing any real research to get to the root of what it is, right? You tell enough people and they regurgitate it to others and all of a sudden everybody believes it. And then when you go do the research, you find out that's not true. But people begin to tell the lie and begin to believe the lie, right? So at the root of self-work has to be learning and truth fascinating thing about the whole fake news concept and you know we had a recent uh, very well-known guest dr shrikumar rao who i could see developing a story that everything is fake news right yes, yes. it's stories that we have told ourselves based on our reality my reality is going to be different than your reality even if they're close they're not going to be the same and on and on and on it's all just models that we stack Yes. One on top of the other that make it easy for us to navigate our lives. That's not a bad thing, except to the extent that we fail to recognize that it's it's just a construct. Yes. And my reality and your reality aren't always the same. And if, if there ends up being conflict, then there's a reciprocal ob obligation mm -hmm. to, to understand the other person's reality a little better. Yeah, that's right. And that's something that I heard from you as, as it relates to I understand my reality I have somewhat of an understanding of your reality, but because mine is different than yours, then I have to be able to incorporate some of yours in mine to, to really get the understanding, right? And that's, that's, true, that's true learning, right? I learn about you, you learn about me, and then, you know, guess what? There's another way that we've learned that neither one of us held. And so, you know, in, in, in my development, when I think about, I'm going to use a phrase, seminal work. Right. Seminal work is when you do on the research and you get to the bedrock of whatever that topic is. You've come to some either what they would call the mother of that topic or the father of that topic who really laid the foundation upon what it is you're studying. Right. As we, you know, we have the father of medicine. We have the father of history, the father of management being Peter Drucker. 
basically laid they, they laid down the foundation for what that particular area of expertise is. And I've always been taught, especially through going through the doctorate process, I want to go to the seminal work. Once I get to the bedrock, then I can look at all the other work around it. It's like Dr. Rao. You know, he studied all the masters, right? Stripped it of all it, all of its um, religious dogma and just gave us the principles for what these masters lived by, which is so simple, but not easy. And so <laughs> we, we have to, as we look at the age in which we live with technology, and when we talk about AI and chat GPT and these other uh, technological devices, the question is, are we really learning anything? Are we developing any of that seminal work or are we just being dumbed down by this information and these devices? Yeah, it's what's new, right? Like it, it, the great masters from way back, whether mm -hmm. they be the philosophers, the, the, the principles in any of the major religions or anything, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. when we do that process of distilling down mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. it's remarkable in my mind how often it gets all the way back to those roots. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can certainly make an, an argument, I think, that there's nothing new in this earth right right I mean, it's that's all right. that's right you know that's it's right. all recycled and it may be shined up to have a a modern application but without the understanding of the of the bedrock principles man what does that mean and i think there there are quite likely implications for artificial intelligence in that realm that we've not contemplated yet yeah it, without knowing when you're doing this self-work, right, without knowing the bedrock of the information, it's easy to spin the story, right? And and you, we see different news reports out of Florida and what they're doing with history, and Texas has done some of the same kinds of things. But you can't spin the story when you get to the, the truth of what it is, right? You you only spin the story because there's some fear and there's the control, and even though there's, we talk about control being illusional as dr Rao would say there's you know control doesn't exist there's a group of people who think that they do have the control and they can control what history is taught right but at the very root they're not thinking about the self-work that comes along with learning um and the the Injustice is going to do to those who come after they've created uh, 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 and implemented their agenda. Well, I think, you know, the more I think about it, and this is just kind of coming to me now, so it'll probably be sloppy sounding, but spin is almost the antithesis of <laughs> self-work, right? Mm. Because spin is, is, is a story that you're telling to convey a certain point. So you're not really, you're not, trying to understand better at all at that point right like you're trying to sell mm -hmm. you know we're, we're all in sales to a certain extent and the spin is all about selling a point of view right rather than yeah. understanding something at a deeper level i couldn't agree with you more and whatever i'm selling is in my interest it's not in the best interest of everybody but that's why i spun it because I wanted it to come across a particular way. As I like to say, control the narrative. There's a narrative that's being controlled there by the spin that's not in the best interest of all and probably has very little to do with the truth. I think this is from Dr. Rao too, but he's, but I'm pretty sure that you know he says that no human is capable of, of acting outside their perceived self-interest mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you, so you, then you say, well, what about these acts of altruism and all of that? But if you, if you distill it down, mm -hmm. if you peel that onion back, that person at the time had a perception that what they were doing was right for them at that time and was at their, in their best interest. And yes. when you start thinking about that, to me, it actually, makes everything easier, right? Mm -hmm. Because what it says is 
I shouldn't ever expect too much of anybody because they cannot mm. act outside of what their best interest is. So to me, that is a stimulus to say, where might we find a mutual self-interest, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because if we're having an interaction and I have foundationally, I now believe that you're incapable of doing anything but acting in your self-interest, same mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. Then it's gonna it's gonna drive me to figure out where the mutuality is. That's right. How can we co-create a new reality together, right? That's basically what we're talking about. We have an interest. I'm understanding that I can't act outside of my interest. So how can we co-create an interest in which uh, it's a part of you and it's a part of me, and it gets back to self-work, right? Um, I often wonder about technology, what we are actually learning as a people. Uh, we were going through some conversation early, and I said, hey, there are students out there who are taking math classes, and the math is all on the computer, where you punch in the numbers and it spits out the answer. And the question is, from a self-work perspective, uh, and we, we are seeing this in some restaurants, as we go in and those who can't calculate without a calculator and have to do it in their heads, who can't make the calculations because they're so dependent on the calculator or their phone or the register, the computer, to do the calculation for them that is really hindering us. It's true, and it's interesting, right? So, you, you know, you always play multiple sides of those models, you know, and so you get into the, the what-how difference pretty quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and one of the things I think our show has highlighted, we've had multiple guests who talked a lot about how you do something, whether right. it's I shave ourselves, how you, you know, design the long life you love, mm -hmm. or Sally Helgeson, mm -hmm. how you create inclusion or, you know, Dr. Rao, mm -hmm. you know, how you do this self-work or many, many, you know, right on down the list that, that how is critical mm -hmm. and there's some sort of fundamental things that it makes a lot of sense to just be able to carry with you, have at your disposal, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting in my career as an executive, I always, I kept meticulous notes mm -hmm. because I, I tended to remember things mm -hmm. better that way. Mm -hmm. But on a day-to-day -day basis, those notes themselves weren't helpful. It was the process of creating them mm -hmm. that enabled it the knowledge to dwell within me mm -hmm. so that I could carry it around with me and make mm -hmm. it portable mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and act on those ways. And then, you know, you come back and you sort of, you know, you write down how it went. You're like, That's well, right. you know, okay, what can I learn from this? And then you then you iterate. So it really is a fundamental process, right? You take these things out, and the the self work experiment to me is how do I take what I think I now know, put it into practice, and then validate what's happening, right? How am I how am I applying all this energy into a process, and then going back and and, and figuring out if the process is valid, does it need modification? Does it need more experimentation or what? Right. You know, uh, on an episode we had Dr. Tom uh, Morris, he talked about practice. And that's what I just heard. How do you practice the process so that you will know what it is you think you know? And I think earlier I heard you, I saw you actually write down a word, um, repetition, right? And when I, we, you were writing that, I said rhythm and ritual. Because a process is really about rhythm, ritual, and repetition. You keep practicing it over and over. It's just like learning, self-work. We keep working on ourselves on certain areas all the time. It becomes a ritual. It becomes a practice, right? And so we know the information we think we know, and we continue to expand on it to add on to our foundation or our base of knowledge, but we always continue to 
improve upon that base of knowledge in our self-work as well. It kind of reminds me, takes me all the way back to my undergrad days and, and, and working with the UNCW basketball team. And there was a coach, Cletus Green, mm-hmm. and I remember his, you know, he had this combination of repetition and fundamentals. He said, you know, as a coach of any kind or a teacher, you're obligated to always teach fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So then the way you teach them is through repetition. And he had a saying, and so you got to tell them, tell them what you told them, tell them what you told them, you told them, mm-hmm. and then repeat. Mm-hmm. And creating these repetitive patterns, first of thought and then of, you know, an action-based execution of a skill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life is really no different. And when you look at, look at the greats in anything, how fundamentally they are in many different areas. We always use Michael Jordan as an mm-hmm. example of a, of a great. And, you know, what people forget is how fundamental he was. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't defensive player of the year all those years just based on his athletic ability. It was the fact that he practiced fundamentals. His hand was always in the passing lane. He was always in the right defensive stance. And, yes, he had great athleticism that allowed him to make up for certain times where he got out of position. Mm-hmm. You know, but over time, his relentless dedication to the fundamentals meant that he was less out of position than the, than the next best guy. Mm-hmm. And so it just you know, it built and built and built. And we can do the same thing with the course of our days and lives. That's right. You know, we all remember going through elementary school and learning our timetables and how we had to continue to recite them one times one and one times two over a period of time up through probably maybe third or the fourth grade. We, we, we had to continue to recite them. And that speaks to the ritual. It speaks to the practice. It speaks, it speaks to the whole process of learning the fundamentals of mathematics. And that in and, in, in and of itself made us who we are. Now, today, it's a little bit different. Uh, they're not probably teaching it the same way. So we have to kind of figure out, and, and I got this out of the Cracking the Code book that I'd mentioned to you, in what ways can we marry the fundamentals with fund with with technology in order to optimize the learning process or the self-work process yeah i think it's kind of like you know sports analogy again right is that you you're obligated to learn how to shoot a layup correctly Mm -hmm. before you learn all the different derivatives of what that is right? right and it's through the repetition of of doing that, that you develop basket awareness, court awareness, that you know where you are, that you develop a, a basically a instinct and intuition of mm-hmm. what position your body's in, so that if you know if you get fouled in the process, you know well, uh, you know I need to put a little bit extra on this one, mm-hmm. or I need to take a little bit off of this one, and you know it gives you a better chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. The fundamentals of self work are really the same thing, right? Because it's the story that we tell ourselves always and we're constantly talking a story in our head right. we, you know dr rao's thing about mental chatter and mental models and you know that's not again that's not new that's you know that's from the ancients that's right how do we fundamentally check ourselves on some of these things that we're doing that you know the stories that we tell are going to be told constantly checking ourselves on the fundamentals is making sure that we're spending the most time on fundamentals that we value, right? Yes, that yes. that the stories we are telling ourselves about ourselves and about what's happening are consistent with our values, are consistent with what we think is important or maybe what we aspire to. That's right. And with the episode we had with Dr. Rao, he mentioned the flashlight, shining the flashlight, the flashlight on those things that are of importance to us. Often we shine them on the negative things, but let's shine them on the positive things. You know, as you were talking about the fundamentals of self-work and, and sports and how they you, you learn to shoot the layups first, you know, once they advance and they begin to shoot jump shots and shots off the glass coming down the court at certain angles, they're really doing geometry in their head. Because with the jump shot and with off the glass, there's an angle involved. There's a trajectory 
that's involved, right? But you hear the same guys say, I hate mathematics. Because the story that they've been told, I've been telling themselves that they're not good at mathematics. But now I can show you on the basketball court how you're very good at mathematics and you're doing it automatically in your head. So let's deconstruct that model that you're not good because you're doing it now. Let me show you how to do what you're doing on the court on paper. Because you're already, your, your brain is processing them it, it mathematically as you shoot the jump shot, as you take the angle. Even in football, as you run a route and you go down, you run a post or you run a flag route, right? There are angles involved with that. You make cuts. It's all mathematics. So let's rewrite the story and figure out what ways we can help you understand it on paper, just like you understand it on the court or on the field. Yeah, it's physics, right? Like That's the, right. You know, mother physics. That's right. All those laws, you know, gravity's going to be gravity and all these things. We can translate so many of these things into the into the experiment of, of self-work. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's really just fascinating that a lot of times if we – if we get the get the dialogue out of our head and write it down, our understanding goes up. Mm -hmm. And the same thing holds true for these fundamentals. I remember, you know, the professors that I had, and I had a bunch of professors to get all the way to the MD. And some of the ones who were the most gifted were the ones that made you want to practice for some reason, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and you just they presented things in such a way that it, it made you want to practice. And it was through that repetition. I remember, especially one of the courses sort of a, like it's a weed out course, you know, is organic chemistry. And I had a professor uh, so good. He's still around town, you know, connect with him from time to time. Dr. Syed, he made you want to learn that. And you would go and you would sit there and you would learn how to do those, those problems through repetition. Mm -hmm. And at some certain point, the light just came on, and then it became intuitive. You could mm -hmm. substitute any of those problems, and the principles just were part of me at that point. And so you could plug anything into there, mm -hmm. and I could use those principles to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's what we, when we say self-work and we say practice fundamentals, that's what we're advocating right you can't just know it in your head that's insufficient it has to be part of you that's right and you, you have to be able to to execute against it i got to be able to show you because the best way for one to know that they know the information is to be able to teach it or be able to show another person or a group of people how to do it right and you know there's so many, so much mental chatter that can conditions us um, that given our self-work at the root of it is knowing how to think, right? Not what to think, but knowing how to think. Uh, and I often say that as I went through school for the most part, let's say high school, through the master's program, I wasn't taught how to think. I was taught how to regurgitate information. It was only when I went to the doctorate program that I was taught to think because then I was creating in my dissertation chapters four and five, which was my original research. Chapters one and three was somebody else's research. I'm, I'm building up to uh, why this study is important. And then in four and five, I'm going to speak to why my research is important, right? And then you give that to the, to the world. But other than that, in the educational system, uh, and there'll be some teachers, I'm sure, that will um, contradict this, but we're not teaching people to think. So it's tough to do self-work if you don't know how to think. Because then you're thinking like as others want you to think, and your self work is not your self work. Your self work is someone else's work. And that's how we get all our mental models, right? Like right. our mental models get built from the 
time we're born, mm-hmm. you know, of what's good and bad, what we're supposed to do or not supposed to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we put our own individual little twists on those as we, as we grow and develop. Um, and at some point, you know, you have to be able to at least ask yourself what you're telling yourself, right? Like, why is this, why does this make sense? How does this make sense? <laughs> What if I thought differently? Yeah. You know, um, basketball players played with the Knicks many, many years ago in the 70s, Bill Bradley, who became a politician. He said one of the things that he did and how he assessed doing business with people is if he, t- he took them to dinner and he watched them. If they added salt or pepper to their food before tasting it, he didn't want to do business with them because what he equated that to was people making decisions without information. It was very interesting. They made a decision that the food wasn't going to taste a particular way or was going to taste a particular way and needed an addition to it without even having tasted it. So they make quick decisions, and he didn't want to do business with people that way. And so we all probably know people, and I know I know some people in my life who are like, well, I don't, I don't like that kind of food. I said, well, you don't like it, no. Have you ever had it before? No. Well, how do you know that you don't like it if you never tasted it. That's because of, in our environments, we've been conditioned a certain way. We've created these mental models and this mental chatter about what is or what isn't without having evidence of such. And that's important. So self-work is about building the foundation so you have the fundamentals so you can go back to evidence one way or the other or you know how to go get the evidence to prove one way or the other. The self-work challenge, I think a lot of times, is really a humility challenge. Mm. To really begin to do the work that you need to do, you have to be humble enough to admit that you need work. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. right. You know, like, it's not... You and I aren't getting along. It's your fault. Right, right, right. You know... We might share that, actually, but there's almost certainly a component of it that I own and have to. But the self-work is actually that process of continually asking oneself, what do I need to do differently? Mm-hmm. What is behind this? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and then also challenging yourself to to more deeply understand where a thought is coming from. Mm -hmm. And it takes you to peeling back the onion in in a lot of ways that sometimes that's, you know, it may not be very comfortable, right? It may take us to experiences that we just soon forget. I would agree. Um, You just made me think of this Hawaiian, Hawaiian, um, I guess it's methodology that they use. And I want to make sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think it's Ho'opono Ono. And in that particular practice, when something happens, you never place the blame, but you ask yourself, how, how, how was I responsible for that happening? What was my responsibility or accountability in something happening that uh, was either good or not so good? If, if there was a, even if there was a car accident that I had nothing to do with, and I was passing by it. What kind of responsibility do I take for that? Right? That's kind of the mindset that they have that everything that's around you, there's some responsibility or accountability that you have for it, good or bad. But that's deep self work, right? That we get into because we realize that I'm a work in progress. Here are things I need to work on. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've, <laughs> I've shined a flashlight, and here's what the flashlight has shown me. And so I need to do this work, and it only happens through humility um, because you have to be able to shed the concept of who you think you are to really get to who you are. There is such a component of grace that needs to be associated with mm-hmm. that as well, right? Mm-hmm. 
not grace for other people, grace for yourself, because mm-hmm. the, you know, one of the one of the traps is guilt, mm-hmm. and a powerful model that that is worth employing, I think, and has been for me is, I just need to forgive myself immediately because my previous self that did that thing mm-hmm. didn't know what I know now, mm-hmm. yeah, right? So, right. you know. I can be responsible to do better going forward. Mm-hmm. But in the past, I didn't have what I needed, the right tools, the knowledge, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. to have acted any different, right? right? I was right. acting with what I thought was the best way in my perceived self-interest at the time. Right. 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 And, right. and now I'm a different person today than I was last year or yesterday or five minutes ago. And, and as our friend Dr. Rao would say, I can't change what happened and I can't change who I was, but what I can do is I can change the story that I tell myself about who I was. Because now I know, given the data and the information that I have today, that I would have made a better decision. And so in, in, in having to, to do so, I can't change the outcome because we, we never really control outcomes anyway, but I can... The story, it goes to somewhat of the alternate reality construct that he has, right, of, you know, how we walk through the world on a day-to-day basis, how we see ourselves, and which is probably an illusion. And then you create this alternate reality around what you really would like to be, who you really would like to, to, to become, or what you would really like to, to do, and then look for the evidence of that uh, being able to occur. I'm always fascinated by you know his description of us as pure awareness, mm-hmm. and I think about you know having learned about negotiation long ago, you know the whole go to the balcony metaphor, where mm-hmm. basically you're you're outside of yourself, you're able to look down on the situation and see what's happening and have better judgment about it. Mm-hmm. The whole philosophy he he prescribes basically is to do that with yourself all the time right you you are the awareness of what you're doing mm-hmm. but only to the extent you can be aware of it and hence all the exercises you know but you are aware of a series of different roles you're playing right now you and i are podcasters you know in a little bit i'm going to go home and be a husband mm-hmm. and you know a father you know mm-hmm. i've had all these roles that that shift along mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. uh, and the role of that of just being aware of that and being able to look at it is what actually gives you a chance to do the self-work because you can say i played this role the best i could then when i have a chance to play it again or something similar, these are the changes I think would be beneficial. And as you and I both know with this self-work, it comes a lot of uh, self-assessment and a lot of reading to become aware and to stay and try our best to stay aware of how we're moving because who I am today, I doubt very seriously that I'm gonna be that person tomorrow. So what do I need to, to learn and to understand to continue to evolve as a, as a human being, right? And to evolve in the different roles that we play throughout the day, uh, whether it's a son, whether it's a father, uh, whether it's a, a husband, uh, whether it's a business person. And that's the whole cycle of perpetual learning, right? That constant self-work and for those who are in the business world, that's the importance of having an executive coach or a business coach or a mentor, someone who can help you stay along the lines of that self-work that is needed to continue to evolve into who you want to become uh, you know, in, in the future. So self-work is important to any and every human being that exists on this earth. And the concept of next play mm-hmm. is so powerful. And, you know, there are lots of, of sports analogies in that regard, right? Like you saw 
uh, last night happened to be Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so Jalen Hurts fumbles and they and they run it back for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Well, the next series he comes out and get you know several long runs anyway, any a touchdown, mm-hmm. right? Like he didn't stay mired in the fact that he had fumbled and cost him a touchdown and an extra point. Mm-hmm. He went to the next play. Mm-hmm. He executed on the fundamentals mm-hmm. impeccably mm-hmm. and took him into the end zone. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think that's the, that's the analogy that we need to carry forward into life. Something happens. Didn't work out like I wanted it to. I'm going to learn from that, but I'm going to immediately move and act, put into practice what I just learned. Right, not I'm not going to carry a bunch of extra guilt because I didn't know any better or didn't do any better. Mm-hmm. But I am going to be responsible to do differently the next time through a new model I create, perhaps. That's right. And at the very root of that, and the Jalen Hurts example, is consider all of the self-work that he had to put in in his career of being a quarterback, from being a... I'm going to say toddler to a teenager to a college quarterback and to now having played in the Super Bowl. Because remember, when he was drafted, there were many who never thought that he would turn out to be the type of quarterback that he's evolved into. And that is the self-work. He One, he believed in himself. He didn't listen to what the naysayers were saying. He put in the self-work in the offseason. During the season, he gained the trust of his team, his team, and over a period of time, he's become successful. Even though they may not have, they may have lost on the scoreboard. Everything that he did was has been all about winning. To even include the adversity that he faced at Alabama as a quarterback when he was he won the national championship, and then of course he gets benched about a, a year or so later. But he graduated in three years from Alabama. And when he went to Oklahoma, he earned a master's. And so one of the questions I was asking about uh, Jalen Hurts, I said, well, how many, how many Super Bowl quarterbacks ever played the quarterback and held a master's degree? So he's proven at every level from an academic perspective and from a sports perspective that he's put in a lot of self-work to excel in all that he's done. And he, if anybody's going to be an example, he should be an example of how you can be a winner at it all. Yeah. And, you know, his example is so great because it didn't work out like he thought, right? Right. You know, he's going to Alabama to be a starting quarterback on multiple championship-level teams, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he wasn't. And that clearly is something that he took as motivation. Mm Mm-hmm. And that motivation is very clearly still driving his mm-hmm. practice and performance and his habits that are making him what he is today and what he's going to be tomorrow. And to me, that's just a, just a fantastic uh, representation of growth. Mm-hmm. Absolute. And, and being aware enough, as we've talked about awareness, to understand how I have to improve my skill set to become one of the best quarterbacks in the game. Not only that, but I had to have some pretty good study habits along the line to earn my degree in three years at the University of Alabama and then to earn a master's degree in human relations at the University of Oklahoma. There had to be some very good study habits in there too. And so all of that is applicable, whether it's sports, whether it's academics, the practice, the process, the repetition, the ritual, it applied to both academics as well as to athletics. And it always makes me think, right, like, so what if we were able to to scale this philosophy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. what does it take to apply this type of philosophy of, of doing the self work and in leadership, the, the theory now is is 
back to it's pretty much all self-work anyway mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but everybody seems to acknowledge that mm -hmm. but there's still a knowing doing gap that's right that's right and and what closes that thing right what model that's right you know and, and yeah that's that's a, that's a great question and i'm going to go way out on the limb and i'm going to say that even though leadership knows in their mind they're thinking change when they should be thinking transformation they should be looking at the model of the caterpillar to the butterfly because the cat the butterfly is not a better caterpillar it's a totally different entity and so as you're going through this evolution at some point in time you go from evolution to revolution and that's meaning the examination of mental models the deconstructing and the reconstructing of new mental models that fit who you want to be who you want to become understanding that you're never going to go back here but our comfort zones keep us here and until you become comfortable being uncomfortable you can't really in my mind in my opinion go through a true transformation which means you're going to go back to what's comfortable so you're going to change for a period of time and you're going to resort right back that's when we talk about change initiatives with 72 percent of all those in corporate america failing that's the reason because the mindset which is what you have to address first, the mental models and the mental chatter, that comes at the very beginning of the transformational period. And I think that's what the difference actually is. Yeah, you kind of got, you got a lot of caterpillars that, you know, want to be butterflies and quite a few that think they're butterflies, but not enough willing to go in that cocoon and do the work that's, that's, that's right. needed that's right. to become a butterfly. And, you know, it's kind of the whole, uh, I think Stephen M. R. Covey talks about it in his book, Trust and Inspire Leadership. You have mm -hmm. a lot of uh, what are con considered uh, enlightened command and control leaders, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. they think they're trust and inspire type leaders, but they're not. They mm -hmm. haven't actually done all the work to get there. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the self-work, that hasn't happened ends up demonstrating them in the eyes of their workforce to be counterfeit. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why there's such a huge flux in workforce, no matter what industry right now, right? Like the workforce is, is a moving target, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And there's no uh, stability in many different industries. And I think it has a lot to do with that, right? Is that, you know, folks are believing themselves to be the type of leaders they want to be uh, instead of going through the process of transforming themselves into the kind of leaders they want to be. I know I've done it at times, right? There are definitely times mm -hmm. where, you know, I've thought my behavior represented one thing and, you know, you get the feedback and you realize no, it only represented that to me. Everybody else, it was something right, different. Right, 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 <laughs> right. That, that's the power of that whole 360 <laughs> assessment, right? You get the chance to see what people really think about you and, and your self-work. Even from a, from a coaching perspective, when you have the stakeholders who are observing you and observing your behaviors and giving feedback, that's there's a great deal of power because even though you may think you're doing this, the self-work to – to make the necessary adjustments, they're sitting back and they're saying, okay, well, yes, and, and maybe no, right? And so we all have to have, and I, I like how you put it, our own board of personal board of directors, right, who are going to tell us what we need to hear, but we may not want to hear it, right? That's what, that's what true friendship is about, and that really plays a major role in uh, self-work. Yeah, and it's another one of those things that you can't really close the knowing doing gap until mm -hmm. you've done enough fundamental repetition to have a feel for it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it has to really be much more about, uh, who you actually are than what you do. Yeah. And then you develop that sense over time. And, you know, we've seen 
incredible examples of it. You know, with Dr. Rao saying that, you know, this is just my model's just a model. If you want to pick up, pick it apart, yeah, you will. Right. That's I mean, right. You know, that's right. Um, but try it on and see. That's know? right. You have Gary Ridge come on here and say, you know, well, I'm I'm incompetent. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, yeah. this guy yeah. who's right. done led all this and created this wonderful culture. He yeah. says, you yeah. know, he's consciously incompetent. Right, it means what he's really saying is, I have a lot left to learn and a lot left yes. to grow that I know I'm going and I'm going to do the work. Right, yes. he's putting it right out there and saying, I'm going to do the work. I am going to be that person, that future me mm-hmm. that I want to be because mm-hmm. I'm not scared to say I'm not that right now. That's right. That's right. And for those who don't have the confidence to do that self-work, oftentimes it's the person who is doing the self-work that's being observed that inspires that person who think, doesn't think they have what it takes to do the self-work. So we have to be mindful of who's observing us as well as, as real leaders because we're going to inspire someone else to do the work because they're going to notice the change in you or the transformation in you, I should say, um, as it relates to putting in the self-work and and seeing what the outcomes are, even though it's not outcome-driven. It's really about the process and the journey and the learnings that happen along the way of putting in the self-work. On that pragmatic level, it's, you know, you become the five people you spend the most time with, right? right. So be that's careful, right? right? That right. iron sharpens iron metaphor. Yeah, However right. you want to say it, right, that's is right. that you tend to gravitate toward the mean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be careful what that looks like for you. Yeah. And the same thing holds true in, you know, this is not just about, you know, a bunch of high-powered executives hanging out or a bunch of, you know, superstar athletes hanging out. It's about... If you want to have a broad perspective, you better hang out with a, a crowd of broad-thinking people yes. with a lot of different temperaments, talents, and convictions. So it really has to do with uh, understanding what you value, mm-hmm. how you would like to see yourself grow, and then creating that environment through the stories you're telling yourself mm-hmm. uh, to get to a, to a different place, to a transformed location. I remember someone told me one time, says... Um Small people remain small because they think small. They think small because they remain small. So a lot of it is how you think. I often ask the question, how many 65 or 70-year-old men did you ever hear talking about still having a dream? At some point in time, it shut down for lots of reasons. Some of it's because they don't see the importance of doing self-work on a continuous basis. Stuff gets trained into us. We we become uh, we become what we're immersed in. That's right. You know, and and basically, to a certain extent in our society, and this could be an episode by itself. When you kind of reach a certain age, you begin to be discounted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's to the detriment mm-hmm. of not only the individual but to the collective. Yes. Something that we've got to figure out how to solve, especially important as you and I get closer and closer to that. Right. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. But, but the truth of it That's is, right. is that, you know, at every stage, people have something to offer the collective, right. you know, right. it, a wisdom, a set of experiences, a level of understanding that can be shared. And that richness gets created that way. And you see some of the highly successful cultures. Um, places where people live very old into the hunt, you know, how many centenarians, you know, one of the things is that they certainly, the culture values those people for who they are. Uh, and we need to do a better job of that. I think it would help. It would help close some of these gaps that we talked about, right? These, these gaps of, of the difference between what I can cognitively contemplate versus what I can be because the folks as they get older there's a comfortable in your own skin phenomenon that happens that's right I think I saw an African proverb that says when an elder dies a library dies as well and that's because when you talk about wisdom whereas in this country 
we don't value getting older. We see it as a liability, whereas in other cultures, they see it as an asset because all of this wisdom that rests with this particular person, I can sit at their feet and just learn. Tell you an interesting story. I remember um, trying to learn a little bit more about my family and my lineage and who do I need to go to and talk to in my family as to who was the historian. And at this time, this was before my grandmother uh, passed, and she passed in 09. I was telling some friends, I said, man, I need to go learn about, more about my family. I need to figure out who I need to go talk to, right? And so all of a sudden, we have this family reunion. And my grandmother is sitting there in the middle, and everybody is talking to my grandmother about the family's history. And I came back, and I said, wow. Man, all this time I've been trying to find who in my family I can talk to about my family history and the historian. And the entire time I'm around my grandmother's house every day and it was my grandmother and I didn't know only because I didn't ask. Had I asked her, I would have gotten all of that information much sooner than going to a family <laughs> reunion and seeing everybody sitting around talking to my grandmother. And I was like, my grandmother was the one. Yeah. And I didn't realize because I simply didn't ask. And it probably had something to do with her being older and some kind of value that I I can't tell you what that value was, but some kind of value that I placed upon her or that I didn't place upon her because I didn't think about her as being the one who knew all of the family history. And that taught me a, a powerful lesson. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. I mean, you know, right, yeah. hidden in plain sight, hidden right? In plain like a sight. diamond right there on the kitchen table. And I'm there with this person every day, only because Grandma was cooking hot meals every day. <laughs> so, and, and, and But I didn't think to ask her about the family's history, and she was the one. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, man, this has been a great episode. I want to thank our listeners for sticking with us again as we – you know, each were doing our self-work as we went along mm -hmm. in our own self-interest, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you want to catch us, we hope you will go to unlikelyintersection.com, see all the episodes. We've had quite a few uh, recent guests that are outstanding episodes as well. You can find me on LinkedIn at Doc Philip Brown. Uh, you can also find me at docphilipbrown.com and Terry. You can find me on LinkedIn, Terry Jackson, PhD. You can find me on Facebook. And may I also say, please go to our website, like, comment, uh, request uh, topics you may want to hear. And if you would be interested in a, in a duo coming out to your organization to speak on a multitude of topics, we're also available for that as well. See you at the next intersection.